0: I'm aware that some of you were not with us when we started in Genesis 1, and so we're going to preach from Genesis 1 to Genesis 11 this morning. I hope you all ate a hearty breakfast. Just teasing. We'll do a brief recap, a brief recap of Genesis 1 through 11. We'll just touch the high points. Here's a high point, Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You either ascribe to that worldview, the biblical worldview, or you ascribe to science fiction. You ascribe to absurdity because without the God of the Bible, without the God who created the heavens and the earth, all the critters therein, mankind, you have no path to truth because God is the God of truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Without the God of the Bible, you have no justification of truth, whether it's moral truth or whether it's scientific truth or whether it's logic itself. What, what defines true and right thinking from insanity? And you see in our culture everywhere, the further we go from God, we're suppressing the truth, Romans 1, in unrighteousness as we flee from the God of Genesis 1.1, the God who created the heavens and the earth. And initially, the suppression of truth comes out morally, but now our suppression of truth that's come out morally has graduated even to science, and we, we have forgotten biology and physiology. We no longer know what a woman is or what a man is. And closely behind Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the preexistent, the pre-existent eternal, everlasting to everlasting God, dependent upon nothing, created everything by divine fiat. He spoke it into existence. He who was omniscient, all-knowing, and omnipotent, all-powerful, spoke the cosmos and everything in it into existence. He created life, complex organisms. The law of biogenesis, all life comes from life is in accordance with the Word of God, and is contrary to evolution, the theory thereof. That's why it's still a theory, because it contradicts laws. The law of information, What they call it a theory. Why? Because it contradicts evolution. But the law of information, that there is no law of nature process or series of events in nature that produces information. All information leads to a mind. What do you see in every life form, small and great? Vast amounts of information, ordered code that comes from a mind, the very mind of God. And so without the God of Scripture, we descend into absurdity. Uh, Even the very foundation of science, the uniformity of nature, the principle of induction, that all things will continue as they have been, that the, the past predicts the future. In other words, what goes up will come down. The law of gravity is found. That foundation, the principle of induction, is found in the Word of God. Genesis 8.22, that while the earth remains cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night, shall not cease. That the God who created the universe and set the laws in motion sustains those laws, even the very material laws of the universe. Without the God of Scripture, without the Word of God, we have no logical justification to believe that what goes up will come down 100% of the time. Even the nature of two, Two two-ism, is two always two. Well, it isn't any longer, if you know. Because woke morality, which of course is broke morality, woke morality has now overcome mathematics and the logic behind mathematics. And so two has lost its twoism. Two plus two is no longer always four. We now know that is white supremacy. They say two plus two always equals four. And so when we reject the God of creation, the God who created Adam and Eve, our ancestors, red, yellow, black, and white, we have all descended from Adam and Eve. We are all related, all one big family. Whenever you see the bumper sticker celebrating something that happened to their family, their kid's doing great, you should honk and wave and say, that's awesome. It's one of your relatives. It's all one big family, red, yellow, black, and white. We're all descendants of Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman. When you reject the God of creation, suddenly you get racism as if we're different races, different species of monkey, different creatures that crawled out of the primordial goo. There is no foundation for racism with the biblical worldview. We are one race, one blood, that of Adam and Eve created in the image of God. And thus we have unique value, created in the image of God. We have unique value. Each and every one of us are created for the glory of God. And without the God of Scripture, without Scripture itself, you reject that. And racism isn't your problem. What argument do you even have to say that humanity is of more valuable or more value than a single-celled aneba? What argument do you have to truly justify that mankind is of more value than the coronavirus. Perhaps the coronavirus should win. Perhaps cockroaches should win. Who's to say it's right for you to stomp on that cockroach? Or worse yet, get out your raid and just hose it down, right? Really have some fun with it. What makes you of more value than a cockroach? Without the God of the Bible, nothing. You're just another accidental species and eventually some great rock will come out of heaven and smash into the earth and wipe you out and that'll be that oh saints when you reject genesis 1 1 and the god thereof you reject all knowledge all truth all right all wrong all good all evil and you descend into absurdity and our culture is proving that today they're doing us a massive favor they're being more honest than they've ever been They can't even figure out male and female anymore. They can't figure out the nature of two. And when you put two of them together, then it equals four. We have a wonderful opportunity to proclaim this God, the God, the only God there is, to a world that is dying without Him. They're dying in their suppression of the truth in their unrighteousness. We have an unprecedented opportunity. And having ministered this word, this testimony, and the gospel thereof in this city for 20-some years, I am seeing now their inability. They used to have a little ground to try to stand on. They virtually are without argument now. For the most part, they don't even try. Which then I'm, I'm happy to point out, you can't make an argument you can't muster one anymore. You've gone so far in your sin, you're descending into madness. And so, saints, in the beginning, about 6,000 years ago, God created the heavens and the earth. Don't cower before famous pseudo intellectual atheists with British accents. I mean, let them use their British accent to sell you a pot or a pan or a vacuum cleaner. But don't let them sell you atheism. Don't let them sell you Big Bang cosmology or evolution. Don't subjugate the true historic account of Genesis beneath Stephen Hawking, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, Carl Sagan, or Lawrence Krauss and their unscientific suppression of truth. They've exchanged the truth of God for a lie and exchanged the glory of God, the creator, for the creation. As Romans 1 declares... Hawking, Dawkins, Hitchens, Sagan, Krauss, and all their Big Bang cosmologists, Darwinian evolutionist friends, worship the supposed spontaneous eternal cosmos rather than the self-evident eternal creator. And that's all you've got. Those are the two worldviews available. You've got a spontaneous eternal cosmos or the self-evident eternal creator. And everywhere we look, Psalm 19, verse one, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day and day they utter speech everywhere at all times. Everywhere you look, macro level, micro level, you see the wisdom of God. You see the power of God. Undeniable. But when you suppress the truth and the righteousness, when you do not want to bend your knee to the holy, holy, holy God of the Bible, the only God there is, Then you embrace madness. You say things like, everything came from nothing. You say things that contradicts ex nihilo nihil fit. (laughs) That, That No, no, nothing comes from nothing. If you have nothing, if there ever was a state of nothingness where there is nothing, there is no material universe, there are no living beings, and there is no omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God, then we still would be in a state of what? nothingness forever and ever and ever and ever. The fact that there is something and that that something is subject to the first and second law of thermodynamics demands a beginning and demands that God is evidence of the God of creation who created everything and then allowed for His own purpose and His own glory everything to become subject to sin, the fall of man. And thus it's winding down and it's time will run out. And so the two worldviews available, and there are only two, is a spontaneous eternal cosmos or an eternal creator who is self-evident everywhere. An atheist faith statement and an assault on Jesus Christ came from Lawrence Krauss. It was titled A Universe from Nothing, Why There is Something Rather Than Nothing. Hey, this should be good, right? He's going to explain this for us. Quote. This is a uh, famous atheist, Lawrence Krauss. Quote. The amazing thing is that every atom in your body came from a star that exploded. Question. Put on your thinking cap. Was he there? This is conjecture. I protest. I object. This is conjecture. The amazing thing is that every atom in your body came from a star that exploded. And the atoms in your left hand probably came from a different star than your right hand. It really is the most poetic thing I know about physics. You are all stardust. I protesteth. If I'm stardust and you're stardust, then how do you get morality? How do you get right, wrong, good, and evil? If we're just glorified stardust, do we really matter? Do human beings really matter? And the answer would be no. But we all live as if they do, as a rule. I mean, there are those who go down the road of existentialism and the absolute absurdity um, that follow their logic and become self-destructive, if not destructive to others or both. But most atheists who embrace this worldview act as if they're not just stardust. They act as if human beings matter. But Mr. Krauss goes on. He says, you couldn't be here if stars hadn't exploded because the elements, the carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, iron, and all the things that matter for evolution weren't created at the beginning of time. They were created in the nuclear furnaces of stars. And the only way they could get into your body is if those stars were kind enough to explode. So forget Jesus. The stars died so that you could be here today. Lawrence Krauss. That is the atheistic worldview that he well expressed there. Forget Easter. Forget the resurrection. Forget the Lord's Day. Every Lord's Day we celebrate up from the grave, he arose. That's why we meet on Sunday, the day the Lord arose. Forget it all, because Jesus didn't die for you. The stars did. You see the direct assault. No one is neutral. Atheism is not neutral. It's not just there's simply not enough evidence for God. No, they hate God. They're opposed to God. Again, Matthew 12:30, Jesus said, if you're not with me, you are against me. They're not neutral. Remember this. There are really just two worldviews: eternal creator God or eternal uncreated cosmos. The 5th century BC philosopher Parmenides Popularized, the truth statement, ex nihilo nihil fit. Literally translated, this Latin phrase means out of nothing, nothing comes. Christians have no difficulty with that maxim. The eternal, self-existent, all-powerful, all-wise, holy, triune God created everything without pre-existing material out of nothing. Literally, ex nihilo, in six literal days. The one true God is unlike the fictitious idols that man created. "'Mankind's idols did not create everything from nothing.'" Do you know the God of Mormonism did not create everything from nothing? The God of Mormonism had a cosmos to begin with. The God of Mormonism is fiction. He is not the God of the Bible who created everything ex nihilo. The one true God is unlike the fictitious idols that man created. Mankind's idols did not create everything from nothing. They are said to merely fashion and shape the eternal material universe. God alone created space, time, and matter in the beginning time. God, the power, created the heavens and the earth, the material universe. God alone created space, time, and matter about 6,000 years ago. God created a mature universe with the appearance of age, just like he created birds, not eggs. Just like he created a man and a woman, not a bouncing baby boy and pink, cuddly baby girls, as sweet as they are. All of God's creation was good. There was no sin or death. Survival of the fittest, millions of years of death and struggle, did not create the species. God created a vast array of life forms in accordance with his own wisdom to procreate after their kind. Ex nihilio nihil fit. the laws of causality, the law of probability, the law of biogenesis, the second law of thermodynamics, and the theory of information that should be a law, as I already pointed out, all confirm the biblical worldview. Any law or would-be law that contradicts the biblical worldview is false. All true scientific laws confirm the biblical worldview. The immaterial laws that govern the material universe so that we might know the universal truth of mathematics, the immaterial, universal, invariant laws of logic that govern immaterial thought So that we might know good thought from bad thought or truth from insanity. And the immaterial, universal, invariant laws of morality that govern thought and deeds confirm the biblical worldview. When we reject our Creator, we reject all truth, all laws, and any path... To the distinction of good and evil, for God defines good and evil, and without God, all attempts at such definition are arbitrary. They are a mere personal or societal preference, but they are arbitrary. All truth, all laws, all true science confirm the biblical worldview. The very concept of truth upon which science is built demands and confirms the biblical worldview. Again, Genesis 8:22 principle of induction uniformity of nature how do you know that these laws are laws that you can work with them as laws day after day after day and they will always work the same and these laws are universal they're the same on the back side of the moon it'd be terrible to get to the back side of the moon in your spaceship and find the laws are not universal you won't make it back they're the same everywhere The only God there is, the God who created the heavens and the earth and all life in it, the God of the Bible, our God, is the God of truth. All truth is His. Without Him, it's impossible to have truth. Unless you know everything, all that you think you know may well be contradicted by the vast amount of information you don't know. Unless you know everything that there is to know, or you know the God who knows everything there is to know, and He has revealed some truth to you, you can't know anything. Let me pause there. Do you get that? Our atheist friends have no claim on truth. Simply ask them, could you be wrong about everything you know? And every honest atheist will say, yes, I could be, because they live in a world without truth. There is no absolute truth, and they know it. If they're honest and thinking, they'll say, yes, I've done it hundreds of times. Yes, I could. So if you could be wrong about everything you know, then you don't actually know anything. And if you don't know everything, what you think you know, if some some atheists do claim, I do know some things. And I'll ask them, well, how do you know that you know those things? Since you said you could be wrong about everything you know, or even if you won't admit you could be wrong about everything that you know, how can you possibly know that you know some things when you will admit, and I haven't met an atheist who won't admit, that they at least don't know 99% of all knowable things. I mean, to know 1% of all knowable things would be pretty impressive. If that's you, let me know. I'd like to know that. There's no one human being that knows 1% of all the things there are to know. But that would be astoundingly impressive. But if you only know 1%, how do you know that 1% is actual truth? Since there's 99% that you don't yet know, which is why you need the God of all knowledge, the God who is omniscient, The God who created the heavens and the earth, the God of the Bible, the only God there is. In order to know anything, you must know him who knows everything, and he must reveal some of what he knows to you, which is why Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. All truth begins with him. Colossians 2.3, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Proverbs 1.7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Coming to God, to know God and receive from him knowledge, the God of all knowledge, is the beginning of knowledge. Outside of that, you have no true knowledge. You have conjecture. You have opinion. You have two plus two equals five. You have bridges falling and buildings toppling over. Truth is that which comports to the mind of God as revealed in his word. The people of God are the people of truth, logic, reason, and all true science and morality. Don't give it up. Don't give it up. Remember, this is not a debate between the spiritual versus the realist or the religious versus the irreligious. It's truth and the true religion revealed by God versus absurdity and the false religion of atheism and its wicked offspring, naturalism, materialism, Big Bang cosmology, and evolution. We're still just introducing and recapping, but let me touch on, I, mean, I, could, I could give a whole message on naturalism, but let me touch on naturalism, materialism, Big Bang, cosmology, and evolution. Just, just touch naturalism. You're saying if you're a naturalist or, or if you're committed to naturalism that there is no supernatural. There is no God. It, it's never an argument against generic supernatural, right? It's an argument against the God. But that's what they're declaring. How could you know there is no God? How could you truly claim as a fact naturalism? You can't. It's absurd on its head. It must be rejected. It's an absurd boast of a worldview, the foundation of the atheistic worldview naturalism, a rejection of supernaturalism. Thus, the God of the Bible can't exist because he simply can't because I said so. Okay. Well, why does anything exist then? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) It just does. It just happened. Hmm. That's not enough. The God of the Bible is the only, only explanation of the cosmos and life in it. Naturalism. Materialism. Naturalism rejects all supernatural. Materialism rejects everything that's not material. There is only material. Only material. So you have no soul. There is only material. Problem. Problem. Time out. I protesteth. There is only material. So what about logic? What is logic? These are immaterial laws that define true and right thinking, right? Logic. The law of non-contradiction. Let's go back to twoism. 2 is always 2. It is never 3. Right? Therefore it doesn't slide over now and again and become 3. The law of non-contradiction. 2 is always 2, it never becomes 3 or even 2. 000 000 000 three. It's always two. It can only and always be two. It can never be two or three, which is why two plus two is never five. One of the twos didn't slip over and become also three. Materialism. If you embrace materialism, you reject logic, which then they'll try to say logic is what man made up. Okay, if man made up, then it's not necessarily true. Logic is actually that which we discover. It's a truth we discover like gravity in that it exists whether we realize it or not. You can go against logic, but you will be illogical at best and maybe insane if you go far enough down that road. The logic exists whether you recognize it or not. It is outside of us. And, good news, it exists on the other side of the moon. In fact, it exists on the other side of the cosmos. The logic is the same. The logic is a reflection of the mind of God, the God of all truth, the God who cannot lie. Thus, in his universe, there's a law of non-contradiction. That's why two will always and only be two. Now, mind you, the same is true about one and three and five and six. The law of non-contradiction is a law outside of man, not made by man, not created by man, but discovered by man. And God gave us the reasoning faculties to discover it. And so naturalism, materialism, Big Bang cosmology, uh, it's just nonsense. No one was there except God. (laughs) So Lawrence Krauss, you're stardust, your left hand, different star from your right hand. Really? How did you get that? Conjecture. It's not fact, it's not science, it's a matter of history. And again, true science is entirely contrary to Big Bang cosmology, and it's just, it's really basic. Small children can get it, unless you work hard, to help them suppress truth and unrighteousness. Explain to a small child that there is nothing in this box, there is nothing in this box, there is nothing in this box. Okay, can there be a bunny in the box? Uh, no. Can there be a ball in the box? Uh, No. Can there be a cupcake in the box? Uh, No. Um, Right. I mean, if you've really taught your child well that there is nothing in the box means there's what? Nothing. In fact, if you've really taught him well or her, um, then there'd be a vacuum. There wouldn't even be air in the box. There'd be a vacuum in the box. There's nothing in the box. The the kid gets it. But here we've got a big box called the cosmos. And our atheistic friends say there was a time where there was nothing and now there's Everything. And then they try to explain how that happened. Oh, here it is. A September 1st, 2010 article from The Guardian says, God did not create the universe. The man who is arguably Britain's most famous living scientist says in a forthcoming book in the new work, The Grand Design, Professor Stephen Hawking argues that the Big Bang, rather than the occurring following the intervention of a divine being, was inevitable due to the law of gravity. So the Big Bang, when there was nothing, happened because of gravity. Um, I object. Is gravity something? Or is it nothing? See, the little kid says, wait, wait, wait. There can't be a bunny in the box if there's nothing in the box. But Stephen Hawking, with all his brilliance with all his billions, having suppressed the truth and the righteousness, descends into absurdity and says there can be nothing and yet gravity. Gravity is not nothing. And because there's gravity, he says there is everything. He argues that the Big Bang, rather than occurring following an intervention of a divine being, was inevitable due to the law of gravity. In his 1988 book, A Brief History of Time, Hawking had seemed to accept the role of God in the creation of the universe, but in a new text he said, new theories showed a creator is, quote, not necessary. The grand design, an extract of which appeared in the Times, sets out to contest Sir Isaac Newton's belief that the universe must have been designed by God as it could not have been created out of chaos. Quote, "...because there is a law such as gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing." That's Stephen Hawking. Hear it again. "...because there is a law such as gravity." Wait, time out, I object. Where did you get a law without a lawgiver? "...because there is a law called gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing." If there's nothing, where'd you get a law? If there's nothing, where did you get gravity? Because there is a law such as gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing, he writes. Spontaneous creation is the reason there is something rather than nothing, why the universe exists, why we exist. It is not necessary to invoke God to light the blue touch paper and set the universe going. Spontaneous creation of the cosmos, followed by a second atheistic miracle, spontaneous life. Oh, we are the people of faith. Really? I believe that an omnipotent, omniscient, eternal God created everything. And everywhere you look, there's this display of power and wisdom in all of creation. You believe there was a time when there was nothing, except, wait, in your nothing box, there was gravity and a law thereof and thus there is everything. But wait, you got a material cosmos out of nothing, and then you got life too, with near-infinite evidence of design, intelligent design in life. You got life in that box of nothing as well. Who are the people of faith? And who are the people of an absurd faith? Our faith is a reasonable faith. Never back up. We are a people of faith. A reasonable faith in the one true God, the God of Genesis 1-1, the only God that exists. The God who created the heavens and the earth from nothing and all life in it from nothing and male and female in it from dirt. (laughs) You weren't from nothing, you're from dirt. Um, So we aren't stardust, uh, but we are dirt, uh, created from dirt by the Word of God. Well, wait, men are dirt, ladies. Sorry, you're not dirt. Come on, ladies, you should protest it. Conjecture, we're not dirt, we're rib. (laughs) Oh, but wait, Adam's rib was made out of dirt. So dirt once removed, dirt once removed. So we have two options, spontaneous eternal cosmos, which is absurd, or the self-evident eternal creator. Those are the only two possible worldviews. But Stephen Hawking goes on to say, the fact that we human beings who are ourselves more collections of fundamental particles of nature have been able to come this close to understanding the laws governing us and our universe is a great triumph. Again, I, I object. Where did you get said laws? So in 2010, Britain's most famous living scientist, Said the cosmos and life in it don't require God because of the law of gravity. Simply put, that's nonsense. That's insanity. That's an atheist faith statement. That's science fiction. That's not science. Stephen Hawking has an uncaused eternal cosmos, matter from nothing, life without a life giver, mind-blowingly complex design without an infinitely intelligent designer, and laws without a law giver. By the way, quite sadly, this is now 2021, not 2010, Mr. Hawking is now one of Britain's most famous dead scientists. Just like so many of Britain's famous atheists before him, God's law found him out. Quote, The wage of sin is death, and the soul who sins shall die. Stephen Hawking is leading millions and millions and millions of men and women to eternal hell with the lie, the delusion, the science fiction of naturalism, materialism, Big Bang cosmology, and Darwinian evolution. The atheist double-minded suppression of truth is represented well by Richard Dawkins that he complains of vast amounts of suffering and yet simultaneously says there is no evil. You can't logically have it both ways, and you'll find this consistent amongst atheists. They will see on the evening news some atrocity, whether it's Muslim terrorism or or the china virus they 'll see some atrocity and they 'll cry out against it. How about um, the border? How dare we as you know America have borders? Every other nation has borders. we have no right to borders. <clears throat> How dare we not? Um, open our borders and provide uh, food, shelter, and medicine to the entire globe? Can any society sustain that? But most atheists, liberal-minded atheists, they say this is the right moral thing to do. Why? If they're just stardust, why? Now, I do care about our southern neighbors. I do care about them and their nations that they are fleeing from. I care about them. It was odd. I'll just give you a brief example from this last week. My wife and I were in Ross on Tuesday, I think, and there was a family there clearly recently come across the border. Uh, No one spoke English. The clothes clearly recently came across the border um, and they were sweet. They were sweet folks and they knew they kind of, they felt out of place. And so we come up behind them in line and the the elderly gentleman, the grandfather of the family, he's stepping out of the way and trying to usher us in front of the family. We're like, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Now, on a a national level, as an American who cares about the future of our nation and even the future of their nations, and that's another argument, can't go into it right now, um, but we need borders. We need immigration laws. On a human level, I get why they would flee those nations. I get it. And I'm happy to let them go in front of me in the line and, uh, you know, buy some economical goods at Ross. There was a young man in front of us who was all masked up and hostile. And this family, this Hispanic family, got a little too close to him in his six-foot bubble. And he came unglued and said, get back, get back, keep your six feet. And they couldn't understand him, but they got the, you know, hand and body language and eventually moved back. And I thought, you know, that's just classic liberalism. I'm sure he voted for the man who has opened the border up so that they might now come and invade his six feet. (laughs) Liberalism, atheism, and the two are closely associated, uh, it's it's a madness, it's a disease. It's a sickness, as Arnold Schwarzenegger said about his wife before he committed adultery on her, which is sad. But it's a sickness of the mind and the soul. And it's sad. We love our neighbors. We love them. We care for them. But you have no justification for loving them. Nor do you have any real justification for fearing the COVID virus. As an atheist, you're going to die like a dog and be in a ditch. You know, most days have some level of discomfort and trouble in them. Somebody's irritating you, or you've got you know a, a bum leg or whatever. You know, you got a boss that's a jerk. You know, why bother with another day in this world if you're just a dog? If you're just going to die like a dog and rot like a dog in a ditch, why bother? Atheists don't live consistent with their worldview as a rule. Now, I hope they don't. I want them to live long enough to repent and come to Christ and be saved. Let us get back to the text, or this recap, rather. So this double-mindedness of our atheist friends, this double-mindedness in Richard Dawkins to protesteth evil in the world while denying the God who defines good and evil. He has no justification for his protests. Dawkins says, God is evil. The God of the Old Testament, he says, is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. A vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser. A misogynist. Uh-oh, wait, 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 wait. Wait, wait. The greatest act of any government or any man, the greatest misogynist act, just occurred. And it was called, strangely enough, the Equality Act. It just occurred, where women no longer have the right to their scholarships, to their sports teams, to their bathrooms, to their showers, to their saunas, or to their bed in the local women's shelter, because a man in a dress can bump them from it all. They don't have a right to be on the podium with the gold medal around their neck because a man in a skirt has bumped them from it all because gender doesn't exist. And so all the lackluster failures in their given fields are putting on dresses and running over to dominate the women because they're God-given testosterone. It's an incredible act of misogyny and foolishness and absurdity. And yet, uh, atheists still complain about misogyny. And by the way, in a world of Darwinian evolution, isn't misogyny right? Shouldn't men dominate? Shouldn't shouldn't we dominate as many women as possible for the survival of the species if we are the strongest male? What argument would they have against that from their worldview? Nothing. Nothing. It's the biblical worldview that elevates women as what? Created in the image of God. God. Of equal value and worth. To be loved and cherished and cared for. By God's design, they are the weaker sex. Because they're not designed to be out in the field as sweaty. They're not designed to go to war to defend. By God's design, they are sweetie, not sweaty. But in a Darwinian world, right? Sweetie suffers. Oh yes. In a world without the God of the Bible and the truth he has revealed... Sweetie always suffers. Sweaty is ruthless. Praise God for his word that liberates women from the tyranny and cruel subjugation of ungodly men. So, misogyny. Homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, infanticidal. Wait a minute. It's the atheist worldview (laughs) That supports the genocide of the unborn, the greatest infanticide there's ever been. Genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. This is Richard Dawkins in The God Delusion. This is his rant against God. On what ground? So, your answer to all that is so what? On what ground? On what ground do you stand to impugn God? On what ground do you stand to accuse God of anything, any right, any wrong, any good or evil? Because you have denied all truth. You've denied the God who defines good and evil. You have no ground to stand on any one of these points. And we could go into every one of these points. I'm not going to. We don't have time. I did pause on misogyny. Dawkins simultaneously says, to overwhelmingly terrible (coughs) that God is... Too overwhelmingly terrible to even contemplate, and that evil in this world is likewise, but there is no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. How can you say evil is too overwhelmingly universal to contemplate, but there is no evil? You can only say that if you've descended into madness. I can see this sermon is going to be a sermon of review. Next time, I think we might get to Genesis 11. That's okay. Dawkins simultaneously says there is no evil and this whole world is corrupted with evil. Quote, the total amount of suffering per year in the natural world is beyond all decent contemplation. During the minute that it takes me to compose this sentence, thousands of animals are being eaten alive. Your answer, so what? And let's have lunch. Many others are running for their lives. Um, Mutual of Omaha, that's entertaining, right? Watching the lion come out and the wildebeest run for its lives, that's entertainment. So what? They're whimpering with fear. Isn't it appalling to have Christian hymns played while they show suffering animals, right? Now, I don't want animals to suffer, but there are children suffering and starving all around this globe. And people are sending in all sorts of money for suffering animals. Put the animal down and provide food for the children. Provide medicine for the children. Provide shelter for the children. Again, not that no animals should be rescued. I'm not saying that. (laughs) Um, But it's appalling where we care now more about a puppy. In fact, there was a sign on TV Highway a few years back. It said, Abandon a cat go to jail. So if your cat has a litter and you take the litter and abandon them, you go to jail, right? Abandon your kid at an abortion clinic, and you can go out in front of the world and boast it. You can walk in the red carpet in Hollywood and boast your abortion and the world will applaud, right? Not just abandon, obviously, at the abortion clinic, but murder your child at the abortion clinic. And you're a hero in our culture, but abandon a cat, you're going to jail. Oh, but they didn't even fathom, what if you killed the kittens? What if you thought, you know what, we didn't plan for these kittens. These kittens are unplanned. Oh, so you kill them. Oh, you'll go to jail. You'll be a monster. You'd be on the evening news if you killed those kittens. Oh, my. But you can kill baby after baby after baby, and it's a woman's right to her own body. You see the madness of a godless worldview and the evil of it? Point it out. The world needs to hear truth. So he talks about the total amount of suffering per year. It's just, it's beyond all decent contemplation during the minute that it takes to compose me, uh, compose this sentence, thousands of animals are being eaten alive. Many others are running for their lives. Is that evil? See, when you don't know evil from good, you, you think animals getting eaten by other animals is evil. If that's evil, we need to get lion police and they need to get busy. If that's evil, we need fish police because the big fish is always eating the smaller fish. We need fish police. And we certainly need, um, what, Southern Barbecue Police. Shut those places down. (laughs) Some of you need to change your lunch plans because the police are coming. Meat is murder, don't you know? (laughs) It's sad. I had a fellow Marine who wrote Meat is Murder on his helmet which did not make him very popular with other Marines, mind you. <laughs> That's the wrong environment for that message. But when you're the pasty, thin, unhealthy-looking Marine, and you're right, meat is murder in your helmet, it just, it's not going to fly. You, know, you need some meat and some more time in the gym, my friend. No, meat is not murder, oh, unless it's a human being. Why is cannibalism wrong? Why do we eat chickens but not children? Oh, because that is murder. Why, when it's on the evening news, where some madman or woman eats a person or persons, do we kind of come unglued and our our skin is like crawling with it? We just can't imagine. It's like nails on a chalkboard. Just even hear of such an appalling thing. Why is it any different than chicken? Because children are created in the image of God. Because human beings, men and women, are created in the image of God. Because that is profoundly evil. And even those who suppress the truth and the righteousness still know that is evil. He goes on. Many others are running for their lives, whimpering with fear. Others are slowly being devoured from within by rasping parasites. Now that is ugly, right? But that's the effects of sin in a fallen world. Thousands of all kinds are dying of starvation, thirst, and disease. He hasn't even mentioned human beings yet. It must be so if... There ever is a time of plenty, this very fact will automatically lead to an increase in the population until the natural state of starvation and misery is restored. In a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect. There is, at bottom, no design, I object. There's design everywhere. Infinite, near infinite, complex design. Every cell and every living organism contains a host of complex biological machines in interdependent relationship with each other. They are evolutionary impossibilities. Behe's book, Darwin's Black Box, explains it very well. And several books have come out since, many, many books have come out since that explain the impossibility of evolution. In every living organism, evolution is disproved by these complex, God designed machines, machines, microscopic machines that we, with all of our so called wisdom and intellect, couldn't possibly create. They're amazing. It's amazing they are molecular machines bound up in interdependent relationship with each other but even within the machine there are parts in the individual machines that are utterly dependent upon each other they had to come into existence as a whole individually and corporately but i digress dawkins says the universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design no purpose No evil, no good. Hasn't he been ranting about evil in the very same paragraph? Yes, but then he says there is no evil, there is no good. So he has made his own argument, his own passion is meaningless. It's meaningless. Shakespeare said, Life is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. That's the atheistic worldview. Dawkins and all of his intellect and Hitchens and the rest of them and all their vast intellect don't see they're trapped in. And it's our job to help them and all those those that are following them to hell to see there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good. Why is he written book after book when there's no purpose? Why is he written book after book when there's no evil and all his books rail against Christianity as if Christianity is a great evil? There at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Richard Dawkins, River Out of Eden, a Darwinian view of life. That is the Darwinian view of life. That's what you get from naturalism, materialism, Big Bang cosmology, and Darwinian evolution. Later, after 9-11... Dawkins said this, many of us saw religion as harmless nonsense. Beliefs might lack all supportive evidence, but we thought if people needed a crutch for consolation, where's the harm? September 11th changed all that. Ooh. Islam is dangerous. I agree. Islam is dangerous. What's the solution to Islam? The gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> is Islam more dangerous than atheism? Oh. What is the worldview or what what government flows from atheism? Communism. Atheistic communism. You'd have to, you know, weigh it out. Who has killed more? Have Muslims killed more? Have Muslims murdered more innocents than atheistic communism? Oh, no. Atheistic communism is dangerous, Dawkins says, all religion is evil and 9-11 is the proof. He says, the take-home message is that we should blame religion itself, not religious extremism, as though that were some kind of terrible perversion of real, decent religion. He goes on to say, Voltaire got it right. Those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. And I say, Voltaire did get it right. Those who make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. And the greatest absurdity absurdity of all is that the God of Genesis 1-1 doesn't exist and that everything that does exist came from nothing, including life. And that vast absurdity of atheism has led to untold atrocities and untold suffering. So turn it right back around. In reality, the truth is, atheism is a faith system built on blind trust in naturalism, materialism, the Big Bang cosmology, and evolution. Without the God of Genesis 1-1, nothing that Dawkins has protested matters. There is no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. In reality, the truth is that the evil religion of atheism and the evil atheist ideologies of fascism and communism are responsible for the murder of more than 150 million people in the 20th century alone. We could go a step further and argue that the atheistic worldview is largely responsible for the bloody genocidal slaughter of 1.6 billion unborn human beings since 1980. 1.6 billion. I find it incredibly interesting and ironic that in the years following September 11th, after living under the threat of ongoing Islamic terrorism in the world, Richard Dawkins retreated from his former position that 9-11 proves all religion is evil and actually upheld Christianity as the world's only hope against the evil of Islam. It's astonishing. So when September 11th first happened, Dawkins came out publicly. He didn't really point his finger at Islam. He pointed at Christianity because the God of Islam doesn't exist. And so he really hates the God. The God he knows, as Romans 1 assures us. The God he's rebelling against because no one is neutral. As Jesus said, Matthew twelve thirty. he was not with me is against me. Against me. So The world rails against the true God. Somehow, Islam, for all its horrors, still comes out looking good in the eyes of the world. Take liberal female news reporters. As a rule, they report very positively about the most misogynistic religion the world's ever heard of, Islam. And yet they find all these glowing things to write about it. That's a madness. Why? Because the broad road leads to destruction, and many go thereby. It's all broad road. It's all against Christ. It's all against the one true God, the God of Genesis 1-1, and the rest of Genesis, and the rest of the 66 books. And so, after some time, Dawkins reconsidered. And he said this, quote, there are no Christians, as far as I know, blowing up buildings. I'm not aware of any Christian suicide bombers. I'm not aware of any major Christian denomination that believes the penalty for apostasy is death. I have mixed feelings about the decline of Christianity insofar as Christianity might be a bulwark against something far worse. So he spent his entire life trying to destroy Christianity. That's been his life's goal. And yet, after spending about a decade under the threat of Islam, suddenly his own self-love and even a vestige of the image of God in him, love of his neighbor, moved him to say, you know what, this Christian thing, this Christian thing kind of was good for people. (laughs) And I think it's a good bulwark against the horror of Islam. And maybe I shouldn't oppose it so hard or be so harsh on it. Perhaps something like the evil, suffering, death, and terror of atheistic communism unleashes on mankind. Perhaps that too finds its solution in Christianity. Right now in America and in the Western world, communism is flooding in. Uh, under the banner of socialism, under the banner of the Democratic Party, and right out in the open, under big red tents, with big red banners. A few years ago, I was appalled to find in Great Britain and in Scotland, communist booths set up in the streets, in the midst of their fairs, in the midst of their markets, communist booths with smiling, happy, beautiful, handsome, communist evangelists, giving out all their communist information not just because I oppose the political system of communism, but because I oppose that which opposes Christ. And communism is innately anti-Christ, anti-God, anti-Bible. It is a long track record. And I also oppose that which leads to the slaughter and suffering of neighbors I'm commanded to love. And so out of love of God and love of neighbor, I oppose communism with every fiber of my being. And communism is what has moved into the White House. Communism is what is ruling in Washington, D.C. Communism is what has put a fence up around the Capitol. Communism is what is coming to contradict the Constitution and to do away with the Bill of Rights, and in particular, the First and Second Amendment. You're no longer now able to speak truth, God's truth, God's truth regarding gender, God's truth regarding homosexuality. God's truth regarding the reality of hell. These things are coming under scrutiny. God's truth regarding the evils even of communism. But in order to usher in this new worldview, this new regime, um, we must disarm the populace. You must be aware of that. Every fascist, every despot, every tyrant that disarms the populace as evil plans. That's how the hundreds of millions of people died, under Mao, under Stalin, under Pol Pot. You must disarm the populace. And once you disarm them, whatever they say goes. And if it doesn't, you go. You go off to Siberia, you go off to a ditch. You go. Because you're in the way of communist utopia. And it's for the greater good. It's always for the greater good. Study history. It's for the greater good. It's for equality. Hitler talked a lot about equality. He talked about the best possible government, the best possible societal structure to to bless all. It always comes in with promises of blessings for all. Mutual prosperity. Of course, sacrifices will have to be made. But in reality, in the end, there's mass starvation. There's cruel oppression. And some tyrant rises to the top and rules with an iron fist. Ideas have consequences. The truth begins in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when we suppress that with naturalism and materialism and Big Bang cosmology and Darwinian evolution, we end up with communist regimes. And suffering now, which is important and terrible, but eternal suffering. Eternal suffering. As they suppress the truth of God's word, as they outlaw God's word, as they outlaw God's God's church, is they outlaw the ministry of the gospel. And men and women are under darkness, a communist dark age, where without the truth, where there is no truth, where there is no vision, the people perish. How will they hear without a preacher? And the preachers will always be outlawed. Where did this thing? that we've enjoyed, this freedom, this unprecedented freedom that we have enjoyed, this prosperity that we've enjoyed now for generations. Where did it come from? It came from Genesis 1-1. It came from the biblical worldview. It all flowed from that. And where are we going in our suppression of truth and righteousness? We're going to slavery and suffering and death. And as a nation, at least, in the Western world, hell. Oh, praise God, individuals, Saved, but, oh, praise God for a Constitution and a Bill of Rights and a First and Second Amendment that guarantee that the gospel can be preached freely from sea to shining sea. That's worth standing up for, speaking up for. Essentially, it's revival or revolution. There is a revolution taking place, mind you. Standing up for the Constitution and to say, wait a minute, the Second Amendment was actually not written for hunting or sporting. It was written to protect the nation and the constitution upon which it stands from tyrants. The constitution is being defied. And God gave us that constitution. It is a providential gift that led not just to the blessing of America, but humanity. We live in an unprecedented time. It's never been more important to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's never been more important to lift up the biblical worldview beginning with Genesis 1-1 and to expose the godless, ridiculous, absurd worldview of atheism and the governments that flow from it. May God give us strength and courage and joy and love to speak the truth with love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For this time in Genesis, Lord, not quite what I had planned, but Lord, I thank you for what you have planned. May we be edified, may we be encouraged, may we stand firm against the wiles of the devil, against doctrines of demons, even that doctrine called communism, born out of naturalism and materialism and Big Bang cosmology and evolution, all lies that contradict you, you, the God of truth the God of Genesis 1-1, the God who created the heavens and the earth and all life in it, the only God there is. Lord, grant us much love that we would speak truth in love, that our neighbors would not perish outside of the grace and mercy of Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen.